Welcome to Love Chats with Catalyst, a relationship podcast exploring love in the 21st century with your host, Aide, Alyssa, Sawyer, and Sarah, the prevention and outreach team at Catalyst Domestic Violence Services. We chose to analyze Moments in Love, a standalone season of Master of None that was released May of this year. Denise and Alicia, a same-sex married couple, both of which are women of color, who experience a myriad of life challenges that we rarely see depicted on television. The show starts off with their marriage looking pretty solid and happy and sharing a lot of beautiful space together and just living the married life. And it's, it's about two people in this place in their life where they want two totally separate things. And this is how they navigate it. So spoiler alert, the navigation ends in a divorce. So it doesn't go well for them, but we will be going over all the areas where they had opportunities to work on this relationship, but it just didn't work out that way. Where did their relationship go wrong? I feel like you can see the chemistry between Denise and Alicia. Like, I don't think this is a relationship that was inherently unhealthy from the get-go. Like, we see glimpses of them when they're together and things are going well. And they're super sweet together. They're funny and silly and goofy. They seem to understand each other on an intimate level. It just seems like when things get hard, they get bad. Because they don't necessarily have the tools within that relationship to overcome them. Yeah, I think it's really hard not to compare yourself to other people. Dev and his girlfriend were having that argument and Alicia kind of took on all of that turmoil that they were having and she kind of projected that like, oh, how am I feeling about my own relationship? How am I feeling about my own life? And she wasn't satisfied with where she was. Yeah, I mean, have any of you ever been in a space where another couple is fighting it definitely adds an an awkward energy in the room you know and denise later after the couple left you know alicia was kind of feeling a little bit off and denise looked at her she's like no 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 like just because another couple is fighting doesn't mean that we need to be fighting right now we're good and it kind of brought up for alicia that this conversation that she and denise had had about a year ago about wanting a family and wanting children and denise had said we'll, we'll talk about it in another year and they're like it's coming up on a year and alicia brings it up again and denise kind of says well and you know i've got a lot going on right now i don't really know and alicia's like you can't put me off for another year you know we're already in our 30s i think at the start of the show they were both 34. And Alicia says, you know, realistically, with fertility, this might take us a while. Who knows what this is going to look like? We should get started. When Alicia even brought up the conversation about, hey, you said it was going to be a year and then we can talk about it again. Then Denise was like, well, it's only actually been 10 months. It's like from the very beginning of that conversation, you could see there's like, I'm not really ready for this. Like, I'm not really ready. And then Alicia just kind of pushes it because she does want children and she doesn't want to wait. And if you said a year, then I expect in a year we'll have this conversation and it'll probably go differently. For Alicia, she is ready to start a family. The moment we meet her, she's the one making that house a home. And Denise is just trying to finish this book. Um, That's where all her energy and her focus is. And she probably just assumed that her that Alicia would understand that right now, like her career is more important. And it's it's very difficult to because I kind of I mean, I see where Denise is at as a black author. I can only imagine, you know, 
just the pressure to pursue this career. It's not an easy career to be successful in. And um, it, this is like her baby um, in a sense, like her, her focus, her career, she finally got to that level that she's been aspiring to. And so a baby is probably the last thing she wants right now because her career is her baby and it's just taking off. I mean, I can understand that too. So, yeah. And you know, the reality of fertility um, and heterosexual couples, even you don't know how long it'll take to get pregnant for some couples. It might take six months. It could take a year. Other couples might get pregnant immediately. And then when you talk about same sex relationships, that's a whole new conversation. It's not straightforward. And there's a lot, a lot that goes into it. And so I don't blame Alicia for kind of lighting that fire and saying, we need to get started. We need to have this conversation. But I think you made a good point, Sawyer, that even that statement of like, well, it's only been 10 months was a bit of a red flag that maybe Denise wasn't all in in the way that Alicia needed her to be. And you really can't compromise when it comes to children. Like you can't have half a child and be like, oh, well, a little bit for you, a little bit for me. Like you're either all in or you're not. And if both people in the relationship aren't on the same page, of course, that's going to cause problems. And in that first episode, Denise does agree. She says, okay, let's take that first step. Let's ask this, this mutual friend of ours to be our donor and we'll see where things go. So throughout episode one, we see them go through the process of becoming pregnant. Alicia does get pregnant and we kind of see them growing together, getting kind of excited together. Um, and sadly, she does end up miscarrying, which is tragic for Alicia. After that is when things kind of took a negative turn in their relationship. And I want to talk a little bit about this specific scene where um, after the miscarriage has happened, they're lying in bed together and she turns to her and she says, why haven't you cried since I had the miscarriage? Which I think is challenging, right? Because we all grieve in different ways. We all have different ways of processing um, trauma, traumatic events, but that turns into kind of a big argument and alicia ends up saying you know i do want to have kids but i don't know if i want to have kids with you which is heavy. ouch brutal Super heavy. oh my gosh so clearly alicia is now in this space where i mean especially after this miscarriage um she interpreted you know denise's lack of emotional expression that which we said everybody grieves differently but she she just took that as a sign that um, you don't want this. This doesn't pain you as much as it pains me. So I'm just gonna leave and 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 pursue my goals and my dreams and 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 start this this family that that she wants. Um, well, you know, before that though, is she says maybe I don't want a family with you, and then we see three months pass, and she didn't leave. They were kind of just pulling away from each other slowly and painfully, uh. and checking out from the relationship and from each other, and that's what we really see happen. And you know, it's hard because I see this couple, and in the beginning, like Alyssa mentioned, there are so many moments of sweetness between them. I totally see a couple that like could work, could figure their stuff out. But it just seems like they hit this roadblock with this miscarriage and Denise did not show up for Alicia in the way that she needed her to. I wish 
so much that they were able to communicate through that together instead of turning away from each other. Because what happened was in that moment when Alicia turned towards Denise and said, why didn't you cry? Like, why aren't you upset about this miscarriage? What she needed Denise to say is, you know, I'm so sorry that my grief isn't showing up in a way that feels helpful to you. Like, there's no way for Denise to fully understand what Alicia is going through because it was Alicia's body, you know, who she felt failed her in that moment. Right. And Denise was, you know, absolutely there throughout the whole pregnancy there through the journey, but it's, it is a little different. And I wish that she would have been able to say like, I'm sorry, I love you. I want to do this with you. And instead she shut down and became withdrawn. That kind of leads us into this conversation of negative relationship cycles and how common it is to have a pursuer and a withdrawer in relationships. And it really seemed like in this moment when Alicia kind of picked that fight, she was pursuing Denise in that moment and Denise shut down and became withdrawn instead of being able to turn together and work through it together. Later, Denise is talking to a friend that she invites over while Alicia's out of town. And she says, you know, it seems like we just have this dark cloud over us and we go days without talking. And that's how it feels when you're in a negative relationship cycle, right? Because that connection that all couples need is missing. This couple specifically was really having a hard time getting back to that happy honeymoon phase because they weren't able to move through that conflict together. You know, and I, I get it when you are experiencing tension um, and you're not really ready to, to to um, hear each other out or you're not being an effective communicator. It, you know, I think it is okay to take some space, but completely like avoiding, like even eating dinner together. Like, you know, instead of maybe switching up the roles and the expectations and caring for Alicia, Alicia just, her body went through something so traumatic that instead of going out to get a burrito and eating it in the car, like she did, she could have tried to find a way to like care for Alicia, um, maybe make her dinner, um, just attempts to come together. And, you know, sometimes you have arguments with your partners, but you still, um, you still eventually want to treat each other with love and respect. And, um, and you don't have to have uh, like an apology right away or just being in each other's presence helps instead of just completely avoiding seeing each other and like doing everything you can to just avoid routines that you had before. Like they used to do laundry together. You know, they would, even though Alicia was cooking in the kitchen, like Denise would be in there. They had all these little routines sharing their life. Like as soon as this conflict arose, Denise just completely like avoided everything. I mean, I, I can see why Alicia also felt like, what's the point? You know, just completely removal of yourself is unhealthy. You know, it's it's easier to, to feel the distance and it's easier to make that decision to, to maybe leave the relationship. And base is one thing, but three months, it's a long time to be not communicating. It sometimes does take one person to break that cycle of not communicating or else you will be in that pattern for like three months, which who wants to be in a relationship? Even fighting for one or two days feels terrible, but to have that for months on end and when Alicia's continuously trying to get some attention from Denise, like, hey, you coming to bed, I'm all sexy and ready for you, but then you're too focused on your book to even notice me, that 
uh, layer on top of it is going to make Alicia feel like she's not even being noticed. Sometimes it does take someone to break the cycle. Uh, and that could have been, I think, like you mentioned, just switching it up, doing something different. Like maybe Denise should have made dinner. Alicia makes dinner all the time. Maybe that's how she shows her love. And maybe that's how she wants love shown to her sometimes, right? Like sometimes love languages can be pretty difficult. A lot of times people liked being loved in the way that they are showing love. So even just switching it up to be like, hey, look, I made you dinner could have really changed the dynamics in the whole, maybe that would have switched up instead of them being mad at each other for three months. Like it could have only lasted maybe a day or two. Absolutely. Just kind of both lived in that like uncomfortableness and like that shutdownness. And like if no one's going to change, then it's just going to stay like that forever. I think like ultimately they're trying so hard to avoid that argument phase of the relationship cycle that they've essentially just doomed themselves to living in tension 100% of the time. And that is a miserable way to live and a miserable way to experience relationship. Absolutely. And we always talk about, um, you know, clarifying to people that arguments are uh, a necessary and healthy part of a relationship. And it's just really about how you communicate, how you argue, you know, you got to be fair and you really want that person to listen, to just live with that tension and avoid having that really difficult conversation, being vulnerable, you know, because that means that you might have to compromise, right? And maybe Denise was mentally not wanting to compromise her career. And so she just kind of just like, just let all that just settle in her. Like she, it was just, she wasn't trying. It was very disappointing. And it, if I was in Alicia's shoes, I would feel very hurt. Like I'm not important. Like this relationship isn't important enough. Um, you're just so passive. A hundred percent. I feel like it's the compromise and also like the accountability piece. Like Denise didn't want to take accountability that she did not show up for Alicia like she should have. Like she just had a miscarriage. I think that she could have reacted differently for sure. To be like just more loving and caring and not so cold and shut down. And even though if that's how you grieve, you still have to show up for your partner in those situations. You want to be in tune, right? Like I, I'm a very sensitive person. And so I can tell when my partner had a bad day or like I know the things that matter and if an event happened in, in his life where I I knew that it had an, a, an emotional deep impact like I would do what I could to like to cheer him up or to make him think like everything's gonna be okay you you're in tune with your partner you're you're aware and you're paying attention to the body language even if people aren't verbalizing how they're feeling because they've got so much going on. Like you hope that your spouse who's there for best and for worse is going to be able to step it up when, when you're fallen. You know, humans, we crave connection, right? That is such a huge part of all of our relationships. And if you're not feeling connected to your partner, sometimes you might want to turn to someone else for support and to find connection, right? And that can look like calling a friend, having a heart-to-heart, -heart, feeling heard, feeling supported. I think venting and having friends to vent to is, I think, really healthy for a relationship because sometimes I get stuck in my own head and I'm really stubborn. So having a safe space to vent to a friend who I know this conversation is just going to stay between me and you and I can say exactly how I'm feeling and then you could be like let me give you a different perspective or like hey whoa kind of aggressive reel it in or like did you think about this maybe I don't think right sometimes I don't think past my emotions in those moments especially when we're fighting so who do you guys think you should turn to for support 
This is one of those things, like, I don't know if there's, like, a set perfect person um, for every relationship. I think it kind of depends on the individuals in that relationship and their other interpersonal relationships and their boundaries. For me, if I am going to complain about my partner, um, and I say that one, knowing he's not listening, and two, we all do it occasionally. It's part of being a human being and like interacting and having relationships. But if I do find myself in a space like that where I want to um, talk some things out, one, I'm going to be very mindful of the relationship between that person and my partner. I typically seek out people who maybe aren't super close with my partner because it feels kind of weird for me to be like, hey, this person that you really love, you think that is really great. Like, I'm going to tell you bad things (laughs) about them. That just feels unfair to me. But ultimately that's going to look different things in different relationships. And it's not necessarily wrong to seek support from somebody who knows you both well. Yeah. For me, you know, I'm pretty intentional with who I talk to about what's going on in my relationship. And I'm not going to pick, you know, a friend that I'm not very close with or might be really chatty and share my personal information with other people. Right. Like I'm really intentional with who I open up to. And for me, those are people that are very close friends of mine that I just trust completely, that they they know the ins and outs of me and my life and my relationships. And I know the same for them. I never feel judged by them. I don't feel like they're giving me unsolicited advice. Like I feel like they really will listen. And a big part for me is also trusting that no matter what I say in that moment out of frustration or sadness or disappointment, they're not going to use that later like against my partner or it's not going to like, shift their perspective of them. They'll, they're just there to be a listening ear and they still trust me to make the right decisions in my own relationships and they don't have a negative opinion about my partner after that. Because like you said, Alyssa, yes. we all have disagreements in relationships. It's human nature. It does not mean either one of you are bad or wrong, as long as neither of you are being abusive towards each other. You know, I have a broad spectrum of friends. There's like friends that I go do fun things with and some friends that I do just fun, chill things. Uh, a lot of personalities and not all of them click with my partner, right? So um, there might be characteristics of my partner that they are just not appreciating or whatever. And that's okay. I don't go to those people because like Sarah said, I, I need someone who's, who knows what we are like together, who has seen us in good spaces and good moments. Because one thing that I, I know is, I mean, how many of us brag about how amazing our relationship is going and what amazing things our partner is doing? We usually don't we usually when we do open up about our relationship is when when there's tension or conflict um so it's possible that some of our friends might only hear the complaints you know and they're tallying up all these complaints about our partners and they might get um a skewed view of like what is really happening and so for me it's really important that i i talk to someone that has experienced us who wants us to succeed I don't need anybody adding more fire, you know, like that the friend that's just like, screw him, you know, yeah, get rid of him. He's a jerk or how dare he, you know, uh, I can do that all on my own. And I don't suggest reaching out to friends that are just like quick to, um, you know, to join the campaign to like hate on your partner. (laughs) So it's hard to talk about relationship issues with your friends, right? So Um, You know, a lot of times when you're talking to your friends about your relationship, 
they could start giving you like unsolicited advice or like, oh, you should leave him or like they think that they are experts from the outside when we know that you're the expert in your relationship. It's beautiful when you have family that you can talk to, you know, but sometimes it doesn't work out, right? Sometimes we can't talk to our, our family members um, about these things or our friends. So, you know, you can always call Catalyst too. We're here for that. In this situation, uh, because Denise was in a vulnerable position, she was feeling really disconnected from her partner, really low, feeling like she couldn't communicate about what she was going through in her life she turned towards the wrong person for support and comfort. I think one thing that we need to, I guess, keep in the forefront is you do not open up about relationship issues with someone that you have sexual tension with, right? Like that is not the right person to open up to or someone that you know is interested in you or has some sort of ulterior motive behind their support for you. I would definitely think like, hey, why am I reaching out to this person for support? Why can't I talk to my partner about this? Is this the best person to reach out to for support, you know, and be vulnerable with? Uh, or is it going to lead to trouble? And one thing I want to make clear is that turning to friends for support around our relationship dynamics, I think is super healthy. So I don't want that to be the takeaway message is don't invite a friend over because you'll probably sleep with them. Like that's not usually what happens, right? I think you need to be careful with what friends you choose to talk to about that. And if there is some sort of sexual tension there, that's not the right person to turn to. But I think it is so important to be able to open about that, to normalize conflict. We all have it, right? We all work at Catalyst. We all prioritize and think healthy relationships are extremely important and we want those in our lives. And conflict happens in relationships, right? And when we talk about, you know, we need to keep things behind closed doors, what happens behind closed doors stays behind closed doors. We don't want to air out our dirty laundry. That can lead us down this really isolating path of where I can't turn to anyone for support. I only have myself to process this with. And that is not a healthy outlet in my mind. Absolutely. Like if Ben and I get in a fight, I'm probably not going to seek out Adam Driver for support and comfort. And you know, yeah. like, you know, if you have sexual tension with someone like a friend or whatever, you I feel like, you know, before going in, like, oh, this might not be the smartest idea. Oh, yeah. If you choose to still go that way, then you're really opening yourself up to, you know, cheating or doing something that might cause some chaos in your relationship. And I think we can all agree that there are appropriate and helpful ways to like reach out to other people outside the relationship for support and help and even just event occasionally. In Master of None, um, Denise and Alicia don't necessarily do that. Uh, they definitely um, seek people out, uh, but maybe they're not the most appropriate people <laughs> to reach out to in situations like this. Um, ultimately, um, Denise has a pretty intimate and romantic night with a close friend of hers where she's kind of like venting about this relationship and they end up hooking up. So they have sex. Uh, eventually, Alicia finds out about it, and it turns out that um, in that weekend, um, Alicia had also been cheating on Denise. So I honestly feel we could probably spend the next five hours just talking about cheating and how it shows up in relationships and why it shows up in relationships. Um, but we're going to do our best to like sort through it in this relationship right now. Denise and Alicia had not been communicating for months. Denise felt like she needed to be vulnerable with someone and have that connection and vent to a friend. And so this friend comes over and she's being really vulnerable, sharing things with her friend that she did not share with Alicia at all. So she's really opening up. 
She's getting all this validation from her friend. And that feels great, right? We love to be validated, especially when we're having these hard times in our relationship. But then it leads into her cheating on her wife. Denise had gone a few months without feeling any sort of connection or intimacy with her partner. Unfortunately, she made the decision in that moment to have um, a sexual relationship with that friend. You know, I obviously do not think that was the right decision, right? But when it comes up later between her and her wife, she says, well, you know, you haven't touched me in the last three months. And then Alicia responds and says, you haven't talked to me in the last three months. And I feel like that by itself is just such a common theme we hear about in relationships is one partner is saying, you know, um, we're not being intimate enough. I'm feeling disconnected. And the other person says, I feel disconnected, so I don't want to be intimate, right? And it's just like this vicious cycle because, you know, if you're not feeling like your emotional needs are being met, you might not want to have that physical intimacy. And then for other people, maybe they don't want to, they don't feel safe having emotional intimacy if they're not feeling physically intimate. So that is definitely a challenge. I mean, I know that Alicia also was doing dirt, but before we found that out, we only see Denise doing it. Again, it's just like not really putting in the effort. It's it's the ego thing. And it is so much easier to just go to someone who doesn't live with you, who doesn't experience the roller coasters of just the, the monotony of relationships too, the difficulties of relationships. She'd rather go get her ego stroked, vent and get her ego stroked by someone that doesn't have a right to say, hey, you're not like being a good partner, <laughs> you know, because it's not her partner. But Alicia did the same thing, right? She left town. She omitted some very, very important information, too. So lied. <laughs> yeah, I feel like she didn't just omit details like she lied. She said she was going to five hours away to an antique store, which was only one hour away, two hours away, um, getting it on. And it sounds like that was a little bit more emotionally connected than even we knew about with Denise and this friend. It sounds like feelings were involved. She felt some something towards this other person. And I thought that was really interesting about this show because usually when we hear about cheating in television and media, there's a clear cut villain. You know, one person wronged the other person and they betrayed their trust, they betrayed their relationship. And I am not someone to make excuses for cheating. Like I don't think it's a good thing that happens in relationships. I think it's really damaging in relationships. But I liked that this show challenged our understanding of cheating and the assumptions that we make around it because they both did it. They both cheated. They were both unhappy in their relationship. Neither of their needs were being met. And so they turned to other people to get those needs met. There is this, this woman, her name is Esther Perel. She's a Belgian psychotherapist. And she talks a lot about cheating in the context of relationships. And she kind of explores this uh, this need for security that we all have and also this need for freedom and this like desire for this sense of freedom and being able to do what you want and feeling tied down and kind of the complexities between those two needs that we have. And I think that kind of showed up when Denise was talking to the friend that she had had sex with. And um, she's like, wow, you're going to leave me here with all my shame. And her friend's like, it's not that big of a deal. And she's like, it's easy for you to say you're free. And her friend was like, well, you could be free, you know? And she's like, well, I don't want to be. And so that is this huge question, right? Of like, what do you want more? Do you want the safety and security of a relationship that maybe monogamy is a part of that agreement? Or do you want the freedom to do whatever you want with whoever you want, but not have that emotional safety and security that comes with a long-term intimate relationship? I think everybody has different ideas about what feels right for them. 
And what Esther Perel said, yes, cheating is a betrayal and it can feel really awful. But in our society, it's like the second you find out someone has cheated or stepped out of the relationship in whatever way, everybody around you is like, leave, get out, divorce them, break up, you know, get away. But she talks about how there are other types of betrayals that happen in relationships that don't get the same type of attention or level of concern around, right? Like contempt, right? Like if you just have like such negative feelings towards your partner that there's no care or love between you, that's a problem, right? Um, neglect or even indifference. Like I just don't even care about you as a person. Like I don't care about a relationship. I'm just indifferent. Those are also huge betrayals too that we just don't really talk about. And we put all of our energy and society around cheating. But I think there are other types of betrayals that show up in relationships as well that can sometimes lead people to make the decision to cheat. I think that's something that this show really put into perspective is that a lot of different things lead up to cheating. It's a really important perspective. And I appreciate you sort of bringing that up because ultimately like the question is like, is cheating always a deal breaker? And when I was watching the show, like it was interesting, like my own emotional reactions, like not that I wasn't upset at the fact that they cheated and there was that specific betrayal, but also during that argument, and I'm going to use bad language, I'm going to directly quote, um, one of them says to the other one, fuck you. Um, And to me, like that was my deal breaker. Like that was my personal line that cannot be crossed because like what Sarah said, like I feel like that sentiment like directed like so intentionally feels like contempt and contempt would be hard for me to overcome. I don't think cheating is a deal breaker, but I think what becomes more difficult is what happens afterwards. Like what kind of boundaries are you going to set so that you don't bring up the cheating in moments and in spaces that really aren't fair Cause it can be tempting and we can be petty and we sometimes get consumed by our fears. And I know that it would be a very easy trap to go to fall into and just um, accuse someone of cheating whenever you feel like something's not feeling right in the relationship for the person that is trying to make up for that betrayal. What is that supposed to look like, you know, and what are their rights in terms of like, hey, I'm being abused because I feel like you're constantly bringing up this thing that I did a long time ago and I'm trying and I'm working really hard and I've showed you and it's just not good enough. But then it's like, well, that's what happens when you cheat. How are you going to place a timeline on my healing? But then the healer also has to take responsibility for actually healing. Alyssa, you asked, like, is it a deal breaker? Is cheating a deal breaker? I think that answer varies in every relationship and every person. Um, And I think for me, it also cheating is not always the same thing, right? If it's a one and done situation, Denise turned to her friend for support, that support turned intimate, one night stand type situation, with someone you know, it's someone you don't know, is this this long lasting love affair, emotional connection? You know, there's a lot of questions I would have um, before I just immediately said yes or no, this is a deal breaker for me. Denise, when they were signing the divorce papers, like, we're really gonna divorce just because I cheated on you? It's like, but but there exactly was it that she was like, we're really going to divorce because we cheated on each other. But that was not really the reason they got divorced in my mind. I think that the reason they got divorced was because they 
we're not able to turn back towards each other and reconnect in the way that you need to reconnect with your partner after harm is done. Mm -hmm. I think that in this situation, you know, the cheating happened, that is bad. But I truly believed that after that big blowout, they could have made it work. I think they had the foundation for a strong, healthy relationship. They were both stubborn and neither of them could come to the other person and say, hey, let's have a conversation again. Let's revisit this. Let me apologize. They just kind of dug their heels in. And when they were signing the divorce paperwork, Denise tried to have that conversation. But I think for Alicia, it was too little too late. So I don't even think that cheating was the reason they divorced. I think it was, you know, it was a symptom of a bigger issue within their relationship. Almost feels like self-destruction. Like, mm -hmm. okay, now we've both done this to each other. We have it out in the open. Now we have an excuse. Right. Mm -hmm. An excuse to walk away. So complicated. But this conversation is real. <laughs> like a lot is coming up for me in this. Yeah, and I think it's way more complicated than like, oh, is this cheating gonna be a deal deal breaker for you? Can we move on? Like, oh yeah, we're both gonna move on. High five and let's move on. Like, I feel like that time after cheating is going to be the way harder than it was even before you cheated because everything's out in the open all those conversations that you should have had are now out there like all of your feelings and so what you do with that yeah i feel like it would be really hard i don't think that it's worth investing that much time in someone if they're not able to have that communication with you prior to be like hey I'm even not feeling this relationship either like sexually, emotionally, or like I had a thought that I wanted to cheat. I don't know. Yeah, that would be really hard to have that conversation and really vulnerable before you cheated to even be like, hey, I'm feeling this way. But I would hope that my partner respected me enough to try at least before it just faded into a horrible like separation that kind of Denise and Alicia went through where they were just totally disconnected from each other. And then basically cheated on each other so they could like get out of the relationship somehow without having still the conversation of like, hey, we should break up. In their big fight, when it comes out that they were both cheating on each other, the fair argument rules were not totally followed in this specific argument, right? Um, Alicia says, no, we're not doing a timeout. I'm done. And she says, you don't care about me. And I think that right there stood out to me because that was her fear, right? Her fear was my partner does not care about me. My partner didn't care about me when I had my miscarriage and I was devastated. My partner doesn't care about me when I'm not talking to them for days and they're not pursuing me. They're not showing up for me when I need them to be. And they don't care about me because they're having an affair. Right. And if that's your deep rooted fear of my partner doesn't care about me, it's going to show up sometimes in fighting and arguing and um, begging for that reconnection, it doesn't always show up in the nicest ways, right? Because you're feeling disconnected. That is what I saw between them and this big blowout is Alicia was like begging for reconnection and Denise was shutting down, withdrawing. And I just feel like that is what ended their relationship was because they could not turn towards each other and have those vulnerable, hard, honest conversations with each other. They turned to other people for that support. And when it finally gets to the point where that tension kind of explodes and they do have that big argument, it's like both of them are so focused on like being heard personally and understood that they're not necessarily open to reciprocating and like listening. It's like, yes, in an argument, we want our partners to understand us. But part of the deal is we also have to make an effort to actually listen um, and internalize like what they have to say. And neither Denise or Alicia like ever get to that point in that argument. No, it got right. so ugly because neither of them could actually speak to their feelings. They wanted to say like, 
you know, if we talk about fair argument rules, like the you always, you never, that type of communication is not ever well received, right? And instead of speaking to their hurt and their disappointment and their sadness, our partners are way more impacted by our feelings than they are by our accusations, right? And so I think that that is something that was definitely missing. Denise and Alicia, you know, they go their separate ways. Alicia goes through her own journey of trying to get pregnant. She succeeds finally. Um, and then it just fast forwards to the future. Now they're cheating with each other. So in their relationship, when they were married, they cheated because it was an easier out. Are they trying to get out of their current marriages? you think, because there are, they're now cheating with each other, which is, you know, really weird that once a cheater, always a cheater vibe. I'm really, this, this one's really starting to feel like that. But again, it's like this cycle, this habit, this um, flaw of, again, I don't know what is going on in each of their relationships, their current marriages, but they're choosing to cheat. Um, with each other and then i think did your spouses know that you were gonna go hang out with your ex-wife like is that okay (laughs) they lied again they lied again (laughs) you know this show it just really really pushes us right to kind of rethink things with cheating like as the viewers like we already have care for each of these characters right and then so when we see this reconnection and it's such a hard place to be as a viewer to be like we know that you're cheating on your partners but we also get the love between you but for me it all comes back to ego like i really think that denise and alicia like they turn to other people for intimacy back when they were married to kind of stroke their ego, to remind them that they're worthy, that they're wanted, they're desirable. And then now, fast forward, they're doing the same thing to their current partners. And I think that for Denise, because we know that her second book failed, she's no longer actively writing, she's at a desk job, she's unhappy. And for Denise, reaching back out to Alicia, where Alicia knew her when she was at her best, at her prime. You know, she was a catch, she was really cool. And going back to that person is now going to bring that those feelings of happiness and success and goodness back up for you. They were having dinner together and she says, you know, if we met today at the club, like, do you think that you would agree to go out with me? And she's like, I said yes before I would say yes again. And she's like, well, yeah, but back then I was about to go off and have this amazing career and I was at my prime and now I'm just kind of a normal person. And Alicia says, like, why is it so bad to be like average or normal? And I think that really came up for Denise is her ego was telling her that she needs to be like the best or the coolest. And she turned to Alicia to provide that support and reassurance to her. I'm a little bit more torn about why Alicia was cheating, but I think that it is that safety, that sense of security, this person that you knew and loved for years is there who wants you, who desires you. I don't know. It's complicated. I feel like also Alicia wanted Denise to be like, I want you. You know, like you never really showed me that you wanted me the whole time we were together, even when I had a miscarriage. And like years later, now it's like, I feel like Alicia has gone on her successful journey. So like she's doing the antique thing. And before she didn't feel good about where she was going in life. She wanted a child. Now she has a child. She's really successful in the things that she wanted to do. And then Denise is kind of like her success has gone down. 
So, you know, she's not a successful writer. She does have a desk job. And then meeting back up, maybe Alicia's like, damn, I'm hella successful now. Mm -hmm. And Denise is like, damn, I wish this would, like, this is bring me back to the days where I was really successful, right? But, like, why, I don't know what Alicia's new relationship is like, but I also feel like, you know, you cheat or when you don't have that closure when one relationship ends in a good way or if it's really messy at the end, it's like you almost want to feed your ego, right, and, like, have that good closure. Like, maybe they just hook up this one last time and they never talk again. But is that really what happens? Who knows? We don't know. I feel like another big component is the fact that they don't have children together. Like at this point in time, both of them are in committed relationship with other people and they're both have like young children at home. Um, like between Alicia and Denise at this point, they've never had to have arguments at two o'clock in the morning about whose turn it is to get up with the baby. They've never had to like white butts together or like any of that stuff. And I imagine that that feels like sort of a release in that moment to go hang out with somebody who knew you before you were a parent, who you don't have to have those conversations with. That's such a good point. Like for them, this was an escape from reality, reality of having young kids at home, long-term relationships. This was an escape really to their past. And so I think you made such a good point when you talked about Alicia. You know, Denise never fought for her and she felt rejected by Denise throughout their relationship in multiple ways. And so for Denise to reach out again later in life when Alicia's doing good and she's feeling good, yeah, that would feel really good to hear from your ex to say, I was wrong and I miss you. Like, let's hang out. She's going to be like, yeah, that feels great because I'm in a good place now. And um, I have no problem coming to say hello to you because I want you to see how good I'm doing. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. How does it affect relationships when things aren't going well? I can speak for myself. The reality is our relationships, we don't live in a bubble with our partner, right? Although that would be wonderful. It was just you and me in our, in our little bubble and we're not impacted by anything around us. But the reality is when you are dealing with other personal struggles or feelings of failure or challenges in life, that does impact your relationship. And so if you're not feeling like you're meeting the expectations you had for yourself or the goals you had, you're going to feel maybe a little depressed, a little more stressed out. And so it's a little harder to show up as your best self with your partner when that's going on. And I think a lot of times when you're not satisfied, even if you don't talk about it, you can just project out on the other person like they're not good enough, they're not doing enough, when in reality, it's just how you're feeling about yourself. Yeah, I think a significant part of maintaining a healthy relationship is managing egos, um, both your own and sort of anticipating that coming from the other person. Because ultimately, like we're human beings, <laughs> we're all going to struggle with that occasionally. Um, and I think to a certain extent, it should be expected and sort of worked around. But if it comes up consistently, where you're sort of unable to like put that ego aside for the benefit of the relationship, like stuff's going to happen. Absolutely. And I think the ego piece is a really interesting part of this show specifically, because Denise's ego was in a good place, right? Like she was a New York Times bestseller. She had a lot of fame, a lot of money, it sounds like. She was feeling good. Denise's mom tells her like, hey, you're really focused on your success, but remember, you can't leave everyone behind. And I feel like that's a huge theme for Denise in this whole series is that she's really driven about her goals and her success, but maybe a little selfish because, you know, she also wants these social connections and these relationships, but she's not investing any time. It wasn't until later on through the season where it comes out that her second book was kind of a flop. It didn't do as well. Things were not going as well for her anymore. And 
fast forward after they do end up divorcing. She uh, was working a desk job. She was just feeling pretty unhappy with her life, right? And so when your ego takes that big of a hit, it's really hard for that not to impact your relationships because thinking about ego, that's what makes us feel good, what makes us feel worthy. And if you feel like you're a failure, you something in life isn't going the way you wanted, then that's going to show up as maybe this relationship isn't what I want, or maybe I don't deserve this relationship. It can, it can definitely get complicated. Also like the vulnerability or somebody you love and care about potentially seeing you fail, which makes me deeply uncomfortable, even the thought of it. Which in reality, we know that our partners are supposed to be there for us, right? In those really hard times. And they're there to lift us up and to reassure us. But that being said, it doesn't feel good to have a witness to all of your life failures, you know, and challenges. It doesn't feel good. When Denise turned to her friend and opened up about, you know, that father figure from her childhood who had ALS, and she felt devastated by that when she saw him and feeling like a failure at work and not living up to her own expectations, that emotional vulnerability is what you need to be giving to your partner, opening up to your partner so that you two can um, deepen that connection for sure. Yeah, and it'll just make you more intimate sharing all those details, even though it's really uncomfortable and, you know, can be depressing, right? You don't want to tell your partner that you feel like a failure, but they're there also to lift you up in those times and tell you that you can be successful and kind of like troubleshoot with you and problem solve and push you to be like the best version of yourself. And I would much rather hear my partner tell me I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling sad, I feel like a failure than for my partner to shut down and withdraw and pull away or to act out and be mad, you know, all those things. If you can open up to me and tell me what you're feeling, I'm going to be so much more receptive to that than I would be in other situations. They did divorce and that happens in over 50% of marriages, right? It's very common. Um, and one word we hear used a lot is failure, you know, a failed marriage or a failed relationship. And that comes up as a theme in this show when um, Denise, after the marriage ends, the house is selling, she opens up to her friend Dev and she says, I just feel like I failed, you know, and um, marriage is supposed to be forever. Divorce is the ultimate failure in life. And her friend Dev says, no, a failure would be staying with the wrong person for 20 years. In the long term, this is a success. You were in different places in life. You're going to find the people who are better suited for you. And I do think that's a refreshing way to look at it, right? Maybe that relationship wasn't the right relationship for you. I think I feel a little bit disappointed in this couple specifically because they didn't put in the work that maybe they should have to maintain that marriage, to maintain that relationship. But I do not think that every time a relationship ends or every time a divorce happens that it is a failure. I think that sometimes people were the right person for you for the season and they're not the right person anymore and you're growing in different ways you have different needs you're unable to meet those needs for each other um so i just i appreciated that part of the show what do you all think yeah i think that a breakup and a divorce is never inherently a failure what i think constitutes a failure in the context of breakups or relationships is failing to learn anything from that experience so it's not necessarily that, you know, we divorced. That's the issue. The issue is that we divorced over a lack of communication. Am I going to bring that into my future relationships and, and know to look out for it? Or am I going to repeat the same destructive behaviors again and again and again? That's really well put. And I feel like, you know, in life, sometimes, even though, and Alicia probably feels this way too. It's like, Denise, I wanted to have a child with you. 
I was fighting to have a child with you and then we get divorced and then you get with someone and then have a child with them. And I feel like Alicia could feel some resentment and you just have to remember that like sometimes in life, it doesn't work out with the person that you're with. It's like, maybe they learn, maybe they grew like you're just saying. And maybe now that's something that they desire or when their partner brings it up next time, they'll be more willing to hear because of the previous experiences that they went through. I think the title just moments of love. It just makes me think relationships are going to experience moments in love and moments out of love. And even though Alicia felt like this relationship was just not right, you know, because she wanted to have a family, she wanted to have a child, but she's experiencing a moment of out of love with her current um, spouse. And so it's just like, wow, if you guys, had communicated been more connected and willing to be vulnerable and like talk it out you could have found your way back to that moment in love and we all know that relationships are cyclical and it's just like wow maybe you guys just gave up on each other too soon because look you're having the same problem like all relationships especially long-term ones we're going to have moments where we're just maybe not as in love or feel that same love in the same way, but it doesn't mean it's a sign of, um, of like, it needs to end, it's failure. I just, I feel like Alicia realized that she, she thought everything that she needed was the, that family, you know, that child. And it ended up not being sufficient because she's back with Alicia. Relationships are work and there are moments in love. And then there's moments where you gotta find your way back. Right. Absolutely. And I think that finding your way back is the piece where people don't want to put in the work or they don't want to, they don't want to think about creatively what, what that looks like. But when you're feeling less in love than you did at one point in the relationship, finding ways to see your partner in new lights, you know, seeing them succeed at things, do things that they're good at, seeing them for the people that other people see them for, you know, not the person who you bicker with about who's going to do the dishes or things like that, right? This brings us to our last segment, almost last. Uh, Do we think that Denise and Alicia's relationship is healthy, unhealthy, or abusive? Why or why not? And I'll start. I think their relationship is definitely unhealthy. Um, Personally, I wish that Denise would have showed a little more love to Alicia, and if they would have had a healthy communication from the beginning, I think that they could have had a healthy relationship um, after cheating, before cheating. It would have never happened if they had that healthy communication. Um, Yeah, so I believe that I would say it went from unhealthy um, maybe to healthy, but mostly stayed in the unhealthy realm, especially after the um, miscarriage. So definitely not abusive, but not fun at all. I think for me, this relationship was healthy in a lot of ways, honestly. I know that feels maybe surprising to hear. I think that there were a lot of healthy dynamics in this relationship, especially early on. I think that they got into an unhealthy territory and they couldn't find their way back to healthy, happy love, and that's why they divorced. The conflict that this couple had could absolutely show up in a healthy relationship. It's just that they dug their heels in and they were stubborn and they couldn't turn back towards each other. And that's what the downfall of their relationship was. So I think it was healthy. It became unhealthy and they weren't able to bounce back. I definitely think that um, 
there, like Sarah said, there were some healthy, I mean, in the intro, it just shows, I mean, they're isolated on this ranch. So it's just like a lot of time together and they're like doing laundry together with music and dancing in their socks. And, you know, they just have these, these routines. They really seem to have a friendship and really enjoy each other's company. But the unhealthy piece is just when things get tough, instead of being vulnerable, communicating, reaching out, being transparent, like Sarah said, they just chose to go with what's more comfortable for them. And it was just to avoid, avoid working through it and trying to figure out like, okay, this is, this is the problem that's in front of us. What are we together going to do to, to resolve it? It was just about secrets. It was just easier to keep secrets. For me, that's the unhealthy piece. I almost wish we could have spent more time with them as a couple before everything went to hell. Because like Sarah and I just said, like you can definitely see like the seeds of that healthy relationship. They have a lot of chemistry together. They have fun. I think that they understand each other on a really intimate level. But for me, I'm going to say from what we've seen in the show, blanket unhealthy. Because even when things seem good, it goes from zero to 60 so quickly for me that I imagine even if those sort of unhealthy dynamics aren't present at the beginning of the show, they're just lying underneath the surface, which I actually really appreciate because I feel like relationships can look perfect from the outside. Like I, I shit this couple. Like I, I loved seeing them together when things were going well, but that doesn't mean that everything is perfect all the time. Yeah, that goes back to that relationship spectrum, right? We have healthy on one side, abusive on the other, and this murky territory of unhealthy is the whole middle ground. And I think that even the healthiest relationships can sometimes slide into that unhealthy territory, but it's that both people are striving and working together to get back to the healthy side that was missing in this relationship. You know, normally we, we finish these podcast episodes, we, we finish with um, sort of thinking about like, so where does this relationship go from here? And usually it's always kind of like fantasy, like hypothetical, because I think a lot of the things we've covered have ended pretty like firmly, like one way or the other. This is left very intentionally ambiguous. They turn to each other and they say, you know, so are we just going to keep doing this forever? You know, are we just going to wait until we get caught? No resolution came from that. So there are a lot of potential ways this relationship can go. Like, what do you all think? What happens to Denise and Alicia once the credits roll? Part of me is like, maybe they got what they needed in that moment from each other, the closure. So part of me is like, maybe this was a one and done thing and they're they're going to keep moving with their lives. The other part of me is like, well, maybe they'll just continue to do this. They're going to fall into that self-destructive behavior in their current relationships, divorce their current partners as well. I don't know. What do you think? But would they get back together after that? That's the thing. They probably wouldn't. I don't know. I'm stuck in the air with this one. I think that it is a very sketchy territory to be in, to be them in the situation. They have children with other people. They have families. They're like trying to build lives with other people, but they're still uh, connecting. I don't know, in a healthy way. This could be the only time they meet up. And then they get what they need. They get that closure. And then they're like, wow, I have families. We need to focus on what we're doing separately now. Um, but in reality, I feel like they're just going to drag this out forever until they get caught. I see this ending really messy for everyone involved because it is a behavior that they didn't really change. Like if Alicia hadn't found the underwear on the ground, do you think Denise would have ever told Alicia that, that she cheated, right? And the ability to do that is the scary part. 
is like the ability to cheat and then totally hide it from your partner and not have any shame or guilt about it or be able to deal with whatever shame and guilt that you have about it, but not feel bad enough to be like, I need to get this off my chest. I need to talk to you about this. Like I've hurt you. It's uh, the ability to not tell people it's that's what's scary. And I feel like they're going to do that to their partners in the future. I think even like best case scenario there is still harmful because, yeah. okay, let's say hypothetically, all right, we got this out of our system. Are they going to go home and like tell their partners and come clean and, and say all those things that they said to the other person they should have told to the person they're living with? Like it's, a, it's incredibly messy. And I appreciate that. Something's missing in their current relationships, right? And they're just continuing the same pattern. They're going to keep this up. Um, I think they're going to get caught eventually. I think the tendency to not resolve conflict, I mean, it's just a pattern that I'm seeing and I foresee their, their marriage falling apart and then them coming back together. But that's the problem is that when you start a new relationship without having like healthy closure with the previous one, you're just not taking this time to pause and break and really like really sit with yourself. It's like, what do you want out of this relationship? And if these people are still continuing the same patterns of behavior, um, whenever things, whenever they fall out of love with their, with their partners, I see them both as doomed. And if they do get back together, we are seeing that they still lack the ability to communicate because they're being dishonest with their partners. So I don't see them suddenly being honest, open, vulnerable communicators. I see a lot of, a lot of drama in this relationship. See, I'm kind of with you. And actually, day. I kind of want it for them. They deserve it. <laughs> I definitely like err on the side of pessimism with this relationship. It's like, I think that they clearly learned a lot from their experiences as we see from that conversation they have in the bathtub. But have they learned enough or have they taken away the right lessons from that experience? And I'm not necessarily seeing evidence that they did. All right. Well, that was a great conversation. I feel like, yeah, I feel like amped up. I feel like oh, my eyes are open to lots of different... <laughs> reasons why people cheat. Um, thank you all so much for listening and tuning in to Love Chats with Catalyst. As always, if you have any feedback for us, we would really love to hear it. This, this topic specifically is super interesting for us, so we would love to hear any opinions around it. You can comment on our social media, send us direct messages. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, and special bonus episode. We will be interviewing a marriage and family therapist and getting um, her perspective on this couple. So stay tuned for that bonus episode. Get connected with us through our Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Catalyst DV Services. And check out our new website at catalystdvservices.org. Thanks for listening.